Second Peter chapter 1. Um, I'd like to get down about verse 5 through 9, but maybe real quickly, let's just walk down through the first few verses. It all goes together. You really can't, you can't get the whole picture without looking at the context of it. So, um, just very quickly. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So Simon Peter, the of course the apostle, the first of the apostles in every place where they're listed and named. And he's writing to them that have obtained. Now that word means, if, if you look that word up, it means to receive by lot. So God has allotted to us like precious, that's of equal value faith, just exactly what Peter had with us through the righteousness of God. So in Jesus Christ, those that are placed in Him, they receive Jesus Christ's righteousness. They receive Jesus Christ's holiness. And as God the Father, I've heard the song, and I'm sure you have too, when He sees me, He sees the blood of the Lamb, that as God looks upon those that are in the family of God, He's seeing the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do you improve on that? Simon Peter, who was in Jesus Christ, he received the righteousness of Christ. And you, today, if you're in Jesus, you've received the same righteousness. It's like precious. It's of equal value. To me, that's a marvelous thing. Peter had nothing greater than what we have today in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's through the righteousness of God and Jesus Christ. Not something that we produced of ourselves, but God provided righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord. So grace and peace be multiplied. Grace, that influence, that uh, divine favor of God in the inward man multiplied through the knowledge. So I want you to notice how many times knowledge is referred to. That word means full discernment. Do you know how I, I learn of the righteousness of God? Do you know how I, I learn of what I am in His family? Do you know how I know about what those that are saved are going to receive at the end of the way? It's through the knowledge of God. If, if I do not know the Word of God, if I do not know about God Himself and... I don't know about the Lord Jesus Christ, then how am I going to receive assurance? Do you see that? But as I grow in the knowledge of Christ, as I learn of His righteousness, as I learn of what I am in Christ, and as a child of God, I, I grow in assurance. I grow in peace. I grow in faithfulness. There's there's an importance to growing in knowledge. As I grow in knowledge, these other things grow also. So according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue. So given, that means to bestow. It's the same word as gratuity. 
So God give this. This was not earned. We're living in a world today that thinks they've earned and they've accomplished and they've brought about all the goodness of God in their life. But the Bible teaches us that this was a gift. This was not earned. This was by the compassion, the love of God Almighty, that righteousness was supplied. All we ever deserved was the anger and the wrath and the judgment of God. And if God's going to begin to deal out by deservedness, that's all I can look forward to. But God's gifted Jesus Christ unto us that we could have His righteousness and that we could have His salvation, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You know, for salvation, I don't have to look anywhere else for anything. If I've got a list of supplies I need, I might have to go to two or three different stores to complete it. Well, that's not so in salvation. When I come in Jesus Christ, when God places me in Christ, everything I need is obtained for life and for godliness in Him. A one-stop shop, if you'll have it. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So again, he says, uh, uh, I believe it's in Romans chapter 10, he says, how can they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in Him in whom they've not heard? How can somebody have faith in Jesus with no knowledge of Him? There must be knowledge first. So you see, knowing and growing in the Word of God Whereby, so through Jesus Christ, through the gift of righteousness, and through the calling of God, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So there's promises in this life. There's promises of contentment, the indwelling Spirit of God, the aid of God through all of our troubles and all things that we endure and go through and a promise at the end of this life of life that is yet to come, eternal life, life without sin, life without the flesh. And you know, if, if you really boil everything down, every trouble that we've got is anchored in the flesh. It's anchored in the body and it's anchored in sin. If there's trouble with a family, the flesh is the problem. If there's trouble with our body, with our health, it's the flesh that's the problem. But them that are in Christ, we've got exceeding great and precious, valuable and costly promises. This cost the Son of God His life. But through the cost and the price that He paid, we have hope of getting rid of our trouble one day, having a resurrected and a a new body, a glorified body like unto His, and having eternal life in complete happiness and joy in Jesus Christ. So God has given us these, that by these, by these promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature, a sharer, an associate, or a partner partaker, a partner in the divine nature, the native disposition of God. So you see how we've received part of this? There's an already and not yet all through the Word of God. I am already saved, yet in the future I'm going to be completely saved. I don't mean that I'm going to get anything more for my salvation, but I'm getting rid of this body 
and I'm going to be in the presence of God forevermore. So here, partaker of the divine nature, we've been indwelled by the Spirit of God. That change that we tried to talk about this morning, that has taken place. We're indwelled by God. He lives with us. He uh, speaks to us through the Word and the Spirit. And yet, in the end of this life, we're going to be in the fullness of the presence of God. No hindrances. No sin to come in between. Having escaped, now this is past tense, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The corruption, Frank said tonight right here, the world needs help. You know what's wrong with the world? They've fallen into the corruption of sin through lust. Man does need help. The Lord Jesus, the God Almighty, the Word of God, that's the only help that our world has. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to know that. But us that are in Christ, we've escaped that corruption. So now verse 5. All of this God has given us in Christ. And I realize that was... We, we just skimmed over that. And I realize that. Uh, but you study that. There's a lot, lot of goodness in that Scripture. And beside this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So by what we've already read in the first four verses, what I need to be saved has already been given me in Jesus Christ. In verse 2 and in verse 3, He's already given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. And if you'll have it, He's equipped me for the life I have yet to live in this world. And then we come down to verse 5 and I'm to give all diligence. I'm to put forth effort. I'm to not be lazy in this, but to add to. That word means to fully furnish. To supply completely. If you build a house... There's never anything put in it. It's really not a home, is it? But you know, you want to furnish that. So the Lord has built the house, if you'll have it. He saved us. He set us in the family of God. And now I ought to seek to furnish that, to flesh it out, if you'll have it, and not working out a greater salvation than I already have, but living the life that He's blessed me with the remainder of my days on earth, living that life to His glory, to His praise, and to His honor. And in order for me to do that, add to your faith virtue. So that word, it's courage or manliness. If you remember the Philistines, they, uh, the, the Israelites brought the ark into the camp and they made a great shout and the Philistines were afraid and they said, quit yourselves like men. Be courageous. Don't fear this. That's what Peter is saying to us. Let us add to our faith virtue. Let's be courageous and bold. You know, if you're going to go and, and tell of the goodness of God in your life, there's going to have to be some boldness there. You just go and try to talk about the Word of God or the Lord and there'll be inward pressure. It don't even have to be outside. It don't have to be somebody that's actively mocking at you. But inside you'll want to cower down. 
If somebody begins to throw off on the Word of God, our nature is to cower down and just not say anything. You know, in, in the day that this was written, they were beating them. They were casting them in prison. They were beheading them. They were persecuting them and their families and the churches. They were out to kill and destroy. And Peter and John even brought into the temple and was scourged and beaten and arrested. You know what it took for them to get up on Sunday morning and preach the Word of God? You know what it took for them to get up in the synagogue on Saturday, on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath day and preach the Word? It took some courage. So Peter says, add to your faith courage because without courage, we won't be able to witness to anybody in this life. We'll be cowered down as a weakling. But add to your faith virtue. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. So as Peter and John, they've been preaching the Word, they've called them into the temple, and they're there, it's kind of like in court. They're in the courtroom now, and they're in trouble for the testimony and the witness of the Lord Jesus. But you know what they are in court? They're not backing down. They're not cowering down to the pressure. They're not giving in to appease man. But they are courageous and they stand upon the Word of God and the truth of God. And Peter said to them, You judge whether it's better for us to obey you or to obey God. Which is better? But you see, if, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to be courageous. So seek to add, furnish your faith with virtue and to virtue, knowledge, true wisdom. In Proverbs 26, uh, verses 4 and 5, turn there and read that sometime. Verse 4, and I may have these backwards, but I believe verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly. Verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly. So either God put two verses back to back in Proverbs that contradict or there is a time that I shouldn't answer a fool and there's a time that I should answer a fool. You know what it's going to take to know true wisdom, discernment, understanding the leadership of the Holy Ghost of God. And so if you're not careful, you can be courageous and virtuous and it turn into brashness. There's a time to be courageous and there's a time to not say a word. Cast your pearls before the swine, the Bible says. There's a time to be a witness. There's a time to just hush and stay back. So by the Word of God, we have to add virtue and to virtue, knowledge. We're going to have to grow in understanding. He says in Ephesians, Wherefore be not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So with some discernment and understanding, let us go out into the world and let's witness not being brash, not being mean, not being cruel to people, not talking down to people, but with wisdom let us courageously tell of the Lord and of the great work of His salvation that He's brought to us. We can go out and witness and hurt people more than we help them if we're too brash with it. Now that's the truth. I, I know some people say, well, you ought to tell it no matter what. 
But you can run people off with that. And so wisdom and knowledge, and uh, wisdom's a great word. Having knowledge is one thing, but wisdom knows how to use knowledge to its best extent. So I should seek to add to my faith virtue and knowledge and to knowledge temperance. So that means self-control. So as God has, as we've grown, we're courageous in the Lord. We've got wisdom now to know what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Now I'm going to have to have temperance to control myself. See, because knowing what to do and doing it is two different things, isn't it? Knowing what not to do and not doing it is two different things. So as we know the will of God, as the will of God is revealed to us, then we should apply that rightly and be able to control ourselves. As God would have us to witness, we ought to be able to witness and tell as God would lead us. And as God would have us to hush and to back up, we ought to control ourselves and hush and back up. You know, there's the natural tendency of man, and if I'm not careful, I'll follow that tendency rather than the Spirit of God. I'll answer hatefully. I'll answer angrily. I'll answer in a way that that doesn't display the love of God. Has God ever came to you and spoken to you angrily? He don't speak down. God always in love calls us to come up to Him. So with the knowledge of God, the understanding, the wisdom, be not unwise. The Lord Jesus said in one place, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I ought to know, I ought to follow, and when the time to do the will of God comes, I ought to be able to control myself and bring myself under what the will of the Lord is. Jesus says, if any man's going to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So you know what that's going to take? Some self-control. Now again, this is not for lost people. This is those that have obtained like precious faith. That as God has equipped us, as God has given us grace, let us seek to grow in the grace that God's given us. I I believe this too, that in the heart of everyone that is saved, there is an inward desire to please God. There's a desire to exalt Him with our life. And if you're like me, when we fail in that, we regret it. We feel uh, regret for the way that we've done, for the way that we've spoken. So what does that tell me I ought to do? I ought to try to add to my faith that I would not bring shame or hurt to other people through my behavior and through my life. So virtue, knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience. So patience, that word means cheerful endurance. That's a beautiful word. That as the church endured, as Peter and John were beaten, as they were thrown in prison, the Bible says, and it says it over and over again, they counted it themselves happy to suffer for the kingdom of God. You know what they were? They were enduring hardship cheerfully. That was where God placed them. And you know, if if I've grew in some wisdom, then I ought to know that God is in control of my situation. God's in control of my life. 
God's in control of where I am. God's in control even of the persecution that's brought. Why, God's not in control of that. Well, I'll say this. They throwed Peter in prison and they aimed on killing him the next day, but God said they wasn't going to. And God brought him out of the inner prison through all of the guards and through all of the gates and God set Peter free. But you know, God didn't set James free. James lost his head for the gospel's sake. God didn't set John the Baptist free. John the Baptist lost his head for the gospel's sake. There was a day coming, and it's just a few days from when Peter wrote this letter that he's going to be crucified upside down, and he's not going to be delivered from that. But you know what they did? They controlled themselves. They were virtuous in the face of death, in the face of the devil, in the face of the enemy. They had courage. They had wisdom and knowledge to know of these promises that God had given them. They knew that though they suffered now, they were going to soon be delivered from it. And they stood for the glory of God and for the glory of His Word right up to death's door. And in death they stood for the glory of the Word of God. Now do you think the flesh wanted to suffer that? The flesh wants to cower down and give in every single time. So with self-control, with temperance, and with patience, are we going to endure? There's going to be things to endure. And you've seen, I, I believe it comes to all men and all women in some way, form, or fashion. There's suffering, there's endurance, there's trouble that comes to every life. Jacob himself told Pharaoh that uh, 120 years, few and full of trouble. Job says few and full of trouble are the days of a man. You know, there's two kinds of people in trouble. There's the bitter ones and the ones that say, I don't deserve this and I ought not be here and why would God do this to me? And then there's the cheerful ones. The ones that say God's in control and, and I'm going to go where He leads me. I'm going to do as He guides me. And you know, which one do you think is a benefit to people round about them? I don't think there's any question as to the one that's a benefit to the lives of those round about them. So we're to have patience, cheerful endurance, uh, and to patience, godliness. So that means piety. A respect, you might say a fear, but I don't mean a fear as, as somebody that's going to abuse you. Some, some kids are fearful of their mother or their daddy because of abuse. That's not the fear the church has for God. But it is a reverence and a respect unto God. And that uh, adoration for God, it's all included in piety. It's that I, I'm fearful, I'm reverential of Him, and I love and adore Him for all that He's done. And so to patience, godliness, if I'm going to endure these things, then as Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that, who are the called according to His purpose. So if I'm going to cheerfully endure... I'm going to have to have some piety about me. I'm going to have to respect God's authority and His power. I'm going to have to know that He's over me. I'm going to have to know that what He says is above what I say and His will is always better than my will. And I'm going to have to be willing to submit myself to that. Now, along with that, I'm going to have to realize that He knows better than I know. 
and that I may look at the situation I'm in and I may say, you know, this is not what's best for me. God, why don't you deliver me from that? Why don't you bring me out? Why would you put me in this place? But by the Word of God we know that them that are in Christ, them that are His called, all things work together for good for them. John losing his head, did that work together for his good? That brought about John's exodus into the world that was to come. And God was exalted through all of that. So patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. So as I grow in respect and in reverence, and in adoration for God. Now these two go hand in hand. The more I love God, the more I love the brethren. Those two can't be separated. We got, we got more than enough Bible to back that up. But just one verse, just one. In 1 John 4.21, this commandment we have from Him, that he who loveth God, loveth his brother also. And we know John says, how can a man love God? whom he hath not seen, and not love his brother whom he hath seen. We know that uh, the, uh, Jesus Christ Himself said that if the world is going to know that you're mine in that you love one another. And so as I grow in adoration and love for God, my love and adoration for you is going to grow. As I love God more naturally, I'll grow in love for those that are begotten of Him also. Knowing this, that all of those that are saved were all in the same battle, in the same fight, and in the same war. We may not be in the same trouble. We may not endure the same affliction. But we all fight the same enemy. And we're all fighting for the same cause. The glory of God our Savior. So as we grow in love for God, our love for the brethren grows. As I grow in adoration for God, I grow in my desire to see you to prosper in this world. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Remember what... Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, charity, the greatest of these is charity. And so the end then, the end of our growth here in 2 Peter 1 is that we have charity. Not just brotherly kindness to those that we're in the family with, but Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, I say unto you, love your enemies. Loving a brother is one thing. Loving an enemy is another. That is against our nature. But you know, God loved His enemies. I was not working for the advancement of the kingdom. I did not want God's kingdom to advance. I did not want to hear God's Word. I did not want to submit to God's Word. In reality, though I may have never said it with my mouth, my actions shown that God was my enemy. I was working against what God desired 
for me. But you know, God was not puffed up. God did not grow angry. God did not strike me down as man would do. But God showed me this charity. And so God expects me to show the same charity that He's shown me to those round about me. You know the truth is, the truth is our world is lost. The reason that man despises you is because they're under the power and the control of Satan. You know enemies of the church, enemies, I mean what greater enemy of the church could there have been in this day than Saul of Tarshish? He was an enemy. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughters. He had papers to cast him in prison. He was standing at the feet of them that stoned Stephen and held their coats for him. And no doubt he enjoyed every minute of it. And from that day forward, he set out, I'm going to wreak more havoc. I'm going to go farther out and I'm going to bring these people into custody. He was the enemy of the church. Now don't you reckon there was people in the church that said, I hate that man. I wish God would get rid of that man. If God would kill that man, things could be a whole lot better for us. God didn't kill him though, did He? God saved that man. And that man went from the greatest enemy to, by what I can see in the Bible, the man responsible for the greatest spread of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ all over our world. Now if God could do that for a man of Saul of Tarshish, could He not do that to your bitter enemy, to the one that despises you the most? You know what they need? They need to be saved. And if God saves them, God can transform them from the greatest enemy into the greatest helper of the church and a great blessing to your life. So Jesus says, love your enemies... Just as I have loved you and gave myself for you, our desire ought to be for the salvation of all men. You read that 1 Corinthians 13. You look at the love of God towards mankind. If God did not have charity on us, we would have been cast into hell. The first sin that we committed... Thank God for the charity of God. So the growing then, you see what we're doing as we walk through these verses? We're adding to our faith. We're furnishing our faith. And all of these things are, they're changing my life and my behavior. And I'm coming more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The way I behave and the way I interact with those round about me, they are uh, bringing me more and more like the Lord Jesus that as I live, you know what they called them? They called them Christians at Antioch. I don't know that that was an endearing term, a term of, of favor. It may have very well been a knock against them. Those old Christians. They think they're Christ. But what a, what a term to have for somebody to say they are like Christ. Their lives and their behavior are like Christ. See, that's the idea of growth, that I become more and more like Christ. That as I live and move and have my being in this world, those round about us can look at us and see the image of Christ in us. And listen to what this does, that if I'll grow... And, and now I'm to give diligence to add these things. 
Growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of the Word of God. Give diligence and put forth effort to furnish your faith. Dig into the Word of God. Find yourself in prayer. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Grow in the Word. Find myself on my knees in prayer. Be down at the house of God when the doors are open. Go to revival when they're having revival. Stay under the gospel. Grow in the Word. Give diligence to furnish your faith that you might grow and become more like the Son of God. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the life that is growing and adding unto them these things... They'll never be barren. There'll never be a time that God can't come to our tree and there'll be fruit there. There'll never be a time that that the world round about us would come and there'll not be something there that could benefit them. You know, you go through the orchard, there's a tree full of apples. You can grab one and it'll be a benefit to you. Well, that's what the church is to be in the community. The church body as a whole, us as a collective, were to be a light set upon a hill, a witness, a place for the gospel to go out to our community. <clears throat> but you bring that on down individually, our individual lives, wherever you work and whatever family you're put around, we're to be the same light wherever that we go. We're to be like Christ and let us give diligence to add these things so that our lives would always be fruitful and never be barren in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. A barren tree is of no value, is it? The Lord Jesus said, Why cumbereth it the ground? Cut it down. The one tree He cursed and it died from the roots up. But here is a recipe. Here is guidance that I can furnish. The faith that God gave me that we could add to that and grow, become more like Christ, that we'll neither be barren, that word means inactive, or unemployed. No, I tell you, the, the person that's growing, they'll always have something to do in the kingdom of God. Nor unfruitful in the knowledge. There's that word again. The knowledge of God. What ought to be going out? Whether it's from the pulpit or from individual lives, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be going out. Is it Isaiah that says, my people are destroyed because they have no knowledge? I believe it's in Isaiah. It's in the book. You know what people need? Do you know why people live callously and in, uh, with no regard towards God? The truth is, it's because they have no knowledge nor understanding. Our lives ought to be a source that people could learn of God and of His Word. They ought to be able to glean from our lives the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, so the life that lacks these marks of growth is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So the life then that lacks these things 
They're blind, can't see, and they've forgotten. That sounds bad, don't it? Does that sound like a life that's going to be of any benefit to anybody that's in darkness? The truth is, folks that can do and and be cruel, and the truth is lack these things. The number one problem is they forgot what God has done for them. They forgot the goodness that God shown them. We forget that we were undeserving of everything that we've received. We've forgotten that God, through His mercy, not because I started seeking after Him and then God saved me, but because God spoke to me and God convicted me, then I started seeking after Him. And it was God that drew me even to His own self and saved me. If I'm saved... It's solely because God showed me mercy. If I've been shown goodness, it's solely because God was compassionate and merciful. The very word mercy implies that I'm not getting what I deserve. And so God has shown us mercy. God's shown us kindness. God's shown us goodness. Even when we were cruel and despitefully used God, even when we talked down about God, even when we were against God and against His will in our lives, yet God showed mercy to us. And do you remember the little parable the Lord gave about a man who had a master and he owed, we'll just say, a million dollars to him? And that man begged for mercy and the master showed him mercy. The man went out and there's a man that owes him $500 and he had him thrown in prison. He received mercy. He forgot about the mercy that he received and he would not show that mercy to another. Now do you know what the Lord said about that man? (coughs) Cast him in prison till he pays the uttermost farthing. And the lesson that I'm supposed to get from that is God has forgiven me, so I am to forgive others also. And he says that if I won't forgive, if I won't show mercy, if I won't show kindness, if I won't show love, then God won't forgive me either. If I have aught between my brother, what am I to do? Leave my gift and go and fix it. See, God cares about how we do people in this world. You look at the Ten Commandments, two of them are towards God. The rest are what I do towards you. So, he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren... Give diligence to make your calling, your invitation, and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. So what's the conclusion of this? What I ought to do is make sure of my salvation. Do you see that? I mean, if, if I'm fruitless, if there's no evidence of growing in my life, then I'd better go back to the root and see if I received the grace that I think that I've received. I don't know if that makes sense or not. That sounded bad to me. But if 
if I plant a garden and no green comes up out of the ground, then it was probably the seed that was the problem from the beginning, wouldn't you say? I need to go back and see whether the seed that I bought was any good or whether the, the heart of it was dead. And so in our lives, if there's no growing, there's no evidence of grace, our behavior's not changed, the influence of God is not there, what I'd better do is get back to the heart and be sure of my calling and election. For if I do these things, shall never fall. Now that's what the Word of God says. To trip, to err, to sin, to fail. So God says... Wherefore the rather, make your calling and election sure, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a deliverance that there is to come for the church. I mean, what an entrance it was the night that I came into the kingdom of God. What a glorious time. I mean, if you can go back to the night that you were under the weight and the burden and the guilt of sin and the fear of God and the fear of judgment and the fear of death was there abiding over our heads and God brought us to the Lord Jesus Christ and took that weight off of us and put it on the Lord and delivered us from our sin and set us guilt-free in His kingdom. What a glorious entrance that was into the kingdom of God. That's a day that as long as I've got half a mind, I'll never forget the day that the Lord brought me into the kingdom of God. But I say this, that was just a beginning. That was just a down payment. That was just the earnest of the inheritance. There's a greater day than that coming. There's a day that a new body will be resurrected and I'll be brought up in life free from sin, free from guilt, never to fail again and be with God forevermore. That day's coming. That's right. Do you not think it'd be wise to make sure of my calling and election now rather than to wait and miss the entrance that awaits those that are in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's all that's on her heart. Anything you'd like to say?